Uh, hello everyone, my name is Sean Barnes and I'm a clinical research psychologist here at the Rocky Mountain Monarch for Suicide Prevention. And I'm joined today by Dr. Lauren Borges, also a clinical research psychologist at the Rocky Mountain Myrick. And we're very happy to have an opportunity to uh, take this Rocky Mountain short takes on suicide prevention episode to talk about a really useful clinical assessment tool um, called chain analysis. Uh, Lauren has been a driving force in um, kind of bringing this to a lot of the clinical work that we do here and, and really um, helping us understand the value of taking um, this approach to suicide risk assessment uh, to kind of go beyond um, some more basic techniques. But maybe we could start out, Lauren, just by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and like how you became interested in chain analysis. That sounds great. Yeah. So um, I feel very fortunate that my first exposure to research and uh, clinical training was in the context of a, a dialectical behavior therapy center. Um, so there I, I remember learning about chain analysis for the, for the first time and, and being like, what is this mystical tool? Um, it, it seems like something that, that could be really helpful. So then I um, was pretty explicit about uh, PhD programs that, that I um, wanted to pursue that really focused on contextual behavioral approaches to intervention. Um, and in the context of my graduate work, I, I just became a lot more interested in um, applying chain analysis using kind of functional analysis in the moment to really understand um, the factors that are that are driving um, often what we consider treatment refractory behaviors to occur, like um, chronic um, suicidal ideation and, and suicide attempts. Um, so yeah, so that's that's how I how I became interested. All right. Um, maybe we could talk a little bit more about the uh, specifically what chain analysis is totally and, and how it sort of compares or fits in with sort of standard suicide risk assessment yeah yeah no I, I think that's that's really important because um, yeah I know for me had I not had these very specific training experiences I would probably not be familiar with chain analysis um, it's certainly not something that's kind of disseminated throughout uh, suicide risk assessment uh, necessarily so um, standard approaches to suicide risk assessment are, are hugely important um, and really focus on the structure of suicidal behavior and ideation. So, um, you know, standard risk assessments that we're all familiar with, we're going to ask about kind of warning signs, risk factors, um, protective factors, frequency, intensity, um, intent, all, all of those things, which um, chain analysis can do as well. And, and those are certainly important to kind of give us anchors uh, to compare um, someone's, I don't know, intensity of suicidal ideation and, and sort of the number of attempts they've had to other people within the population or right. in smaller groups. Um, chain analysis, though, is a, is a different approach. So rather than kind of focusing on um, sort of uh, symptoms kind of or signs, um, behaviors hanging hanging together, like a, a collection of um, sort of what we might say symptom topography, mm -hmm. chain analysis really focuses on the stuff that's underneath all those behaviors. Um, so really addresses why those behaviors are hanging together. And that's, that's what I find so compelling about it. Um, I, I, think, I think it's really cool that you can potentially, as a scientist, sort of drill down and figure out what's underneath all this stuff that's happening. And by all this stuff, I mean, certainly like, you know, uh, the, the factors around a, a suicide attempt, if that's, you know, the, the behavior that, that you're working on in the chain analysis. Um, but oftentimes coming with that, we see substance use. 
Um, we see kind of avoidance uh, of activities that someone used to enjoy. Um, so we can figure out like what's causing all of those um, those different behaviors to hang together and focus on that in treatment. It kind of gives us a lot more bang for our buck. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, which is which is what got me really interested in chain analysis. So essentially, chain analysis is just um, figuring out through through a structured kind of technique. Um, what is underneath all these behaviors that I'm seeing as a clinician. And then that sets us up really nicely to intervene on those behaviors um, through very targeted uh, clinical approaches. So it's really focusing on the processes underneath suffering. Yeah, so kind of big picture, um, it's helping us understand and conceptualize uh, why someone's engaging in these behaviors. Mm -hmm. And then also seeing kind of how we can break that pattern up and, and intervene. Um, on that pattern, if we go into more a little bit more detail, mm-hmm. so we kind of start out by identifying uh, a behavior or a thought, right? Yeah, totally. So, so you would start out. Um, I, I, you, the way that we've kind of uh, referred to it is very consistent with um, how it's been referred to in, in DBT. So, you you could call it um, a target behavior or a or problem behavior. Language has has also been used. Um, so if you have a if you have a target behavior, really that that is anything, and that behavior can be how how a veteran or a client. I'm going to probably refer to veterans a lot because Sean and I both we work we, we work with veterans. Um, how a veteran is. Uh, uh, engaging with their thoughts could certainly be a behavior. So ruminating about suicide or planning, like imagining mm-hmm. kind of a suicide attempt, that would be a target behavior, even though it's kind of not an overt behavior that we could focus on in the chain analysis. Internal processes as behaviors as well. Absolutely, uh-huh. yeah. So how so how that person is interacting with their thoughts, their emotions, their urges, the stuff that's going on in their body, um, all, of, all of that is is behavior, right? How I'm choosing to relate to those experiences. One thing for me, I know, and having done a fair amount of suicide risk assessment, you know, before we started working together and before I became more familiar with um, behavioral approaches to assessment and intervention, um, you know, I still definitely would have identified the target, right? I mean, like, that's clear. I know that I want to help the person uh, not engage in suicidal behavior again or, you know, not be spending all their time thinking about suicide rather than doing things that are important to them. But, you know, I, how is chain analysis different than just saying, like, so why, like, why did you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. So I, I want to kind of highlight something you said, um, because I, I think part of this approach is that it can, like, seem really different and, and um, I don't know, scary in comparison to what you might already be doing. But you're actually collecting probably a lot of the information that you use in a chain analysis with a veteran anyway, or the client anyway, and doing a standard suicide risk assessment. Um, so I, I think the main difference, um, well, I, I think there are a few differences. There's there's a difference, certainly, stylistically in, in how the chain analysis is done as an active and collaborative conversation. And, and that and that isn't to say that standard suicide risk doesn't involve that. It's just like a, a very explicit part of the chain kind of working through the, this series of events together um, so that the client can ultimately become their own therapist and, and be able to, to kind of do this for themselves. Um, and the, sec- the second reason the, the chain is different is it really kind of allows some, some hypothesis testing about like various uh, features that could be driving suicide, right? Um, 
so you would work to identify that dark target behavior in, in very a very precise level of detail. You'd work to identify the prompting event, which is um, the thing that that set the whole chain analysis into motion. So it might be like an argument with a significant other, you know, something mm-hmm. to that effect. Um, and then you'd work backwards with with the um, the client that you're working with uh, piece by piece to identify every kind of small link in the chain that came that came before the target behavior. So that could be that could be thoughts that they noticed, it could be emotions that they experienced, it could be things that they did. Um, so uh, yeah, things that they did before they you know decided to attempt suicide or before they noticed they were kind of stuck in their head thinking about suicidal thoughts. Um, and, and so that level of detail, I would say, is different. And then I would say the back end of the chain is really different. Um, so, so after you kind of go through that, that front portion, really the, the whole kind of goal of this is to figure out what the function. Um, so I'll probably say function a lot, and I don't know that I've defined that yet. Um, so function is, is essentially why this behavior is continuing to occur, right? Um, it, it, with this perspective, all behavior has a function. So even if I don't know why I did something and it seems impossible for me to understand like what led up to this, it just felt like it came out of the blue. If I, if I slow down and kind of roll back enough, um, we should be able to kind of systematically together figure out like, okay, first this thing happened, then this thing happened, then this thing happened, which set this target behavior into motion that I engaged in. And then, and the reason that I engaged in this target behavior um, is because of what it did for me. And these, these might be not things, these might not be things that I'm aware of what right. it, what it does for me. Um, so, so oftentimes when we talk about function related to chain analysis, um, we're, we're talking about uh, reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Um and I would say that kind of really highlighting and explicitly getting at forms of reinforcement is very different from standard suicide risk assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think yeah. one reason I yeah. really love this approach, and I think it really um, pulls for collaboration between the clinician and the, the client or veteran, um, is that uh, looking at it in detail and trying to like figure it out together, but then also instead of me just saying like, so did you do this to um, influence other people around you? Um, we can say, so, you know, this was happening in your mm-hmm. interpersonal relationship prior to this target behavior. Totally. And then what happened with that person in your relationship afterwards? Yeah. Right? And, and, like, and then you got better, very... and that's... That's nice. Like, you know, there's no blame. No, totally. There. It's very, um, it's very non-judgmental, right? This is, yeah. it's a very objective. It's subjective, but it's also kind of objective in that you have it on a piece of paper mm-hmm. in front of you. It's, it's not like me evaluating kind of like why why you were doing this and and mm-hmm. what it was doing for you. We just like know based on the information you're giving me and and what you're saying this this does for you that that um, this is this is why this is happening. And once we know why it's happening, uh, it's it's a lot easier to intervene um, in, right. in a way that that doesn't feel like it's all my fault and I'm this horrible monster for to continuing to engage in this behavior. Mm-hmm. When of course you're engaging in suicidal behavior or suicidal ideation, it's actually it's working well for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it just might not be meeting kind of their long term goals or consistent with their values in, in the long term. Yeah, I mean I think there's that aspect of like. Oh, like, huh, this, you know, this makes sense the way we've laid it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, one of the big differences being that level of detail and kind of the, the concrete approach that chain analysis takes relative to more of just an exploration of like, so let's talk about this mm-hmm. event in, in detail. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, uh, and it, give you, it gives you opportunities to intervene in, I think, a, a different way, which is nice. 
Yeah, and you're a little less um, kind of wed to the client's insight, mm-hmm. um, in that you're looking at the, the different you know thoughts, emotions, physical sensations mm-hmm. that were occurring leading up to the different events that were leading up to the target behavior, mm-hmm. um, rather than sort of their interpretation of those things. Yeah, at the next like, absolutely. So maybe we've talked a little bit about. Uh, what chain analysis is um hopefully we can maybe we can provide people with like a diagram of a chain analysis or or something as well um uh, lauren also uh, led a group recently in um, publishing a paper on uh, therapeutic risk management chain analysis of suicidal ideation and behavior and that um, was in the 2019 uh 25th issue of the journal of psychiatric practice um, that's a good reference if you want more detail. And, like, specific examples that yeah. kind of go through sort of piece by piece with a couple, um, with a with a veteran. Like, how, how you would do a chain and then how you would um, intervene in the chain with some therapeutic in- interventions. Yeah. So, like, I can see, you know, that some similarities and differences between the standard suicide risk assessment and um, sort of the difference between just asking a client or veteran why they attempted or why they could think about suicide to using this more structured approach. Do you think you could tell us a little bit more about the specific structure of a chain and mm-hmm. kind of what the, the typical components are? Yeah, so um, the place that you'd always start with the chain is really getting very concrete and specific about what the behavior is that you're that you're actually targeting. Um, and this isn't multiple behaviors, this is just one behavior. Um, so the behavior might be that um, your client overdosed, right? So, so you so might not, be focused on... not like on... the crisis you had in 2018. <laughs> so really specific specific detail about the target behavior, um, whether it's an overt behavior or an internal one, a covert one. Um, And then after identifying that collaboratively using really the the client, the veteran's language, um, you'd want to identify the prompting event. So what is it that set this whole series of events into motion? Um, Oftentimes it, it might be um, some sort of an argument, maybe a reminder of, of um, that veteran's trauma history, something something to that extent, uh, workplace stressor. It, it tends to be some sort of a, an environmental event that causes um, emotional and cognitive distress, really. Um, and, and so uh, you would also then kind of work backwards from the target behavior to identify specific links in the chain. So this is everything that happened between the target behavior and the prompting event. Um, so you would, you would be getting at emotions and kind of writing the intensity of those emotions. You'd be getting at like what specific thoughts they were having, what they said to other people, what they did, um, what, um, yeah, what they noticed, um, about their, their experience in that moment. So Um, helping them drill down on like key, uh, emotions, cognition, uh, physical sensations, behaviors, because there are other behaviors that could occur before the target behavior and often do. Um, depending on, you know, what that is. Uh, and then you would identify the vulnerability factors. So what was it about that specific prompting event, that specific day and time that made that, um, 
that person more vulnerable to thinking about suicide or engaging in suicidal behavior. And certainly we're talking about suicide right now in our examples, because this is something that's incredibly helpful for suicide risk assessment. But the chain is, is not at all um, limited to addressing uh, suicidal ideation and behavior. Really, this can be used for anything. Um, if you have a client that, that they want to kind of work on noticing patterns related to, figuring out why it is that they keep doing something that they don't want to be doing, um, and then changing your, their relationship to that event. So this can this can really be used for really anything. Flexible. Yeah, super sure. flexible, which is cool. Um, so yeah, so then so then you have those vulnerability factors, and and those can include things like not getting enough sleep on that day, not taking my medications as prescribed, using alcohol or drugs, um, not eating, <laughs> uh, those those kinds of things that that we know kind of set us all up to just have a crappy day. Um, but, but, but those are important to identify because they kind of, um, help particularly for people who, um, might be at like high chronic risk for suicide and, and feel like they're just experiencing, um, persistent suicidal ideation and maybe behavior too all the time. Well, so for the person yeah. who says like, it was the same thing as always, totally. like, I'm always thinking about it. Yeah. About doing yeah. Actually figuring out like specifically what, what set this into motion, um, can, can help them sort of feel, I don't know, a sense of some agency and, and kind of some control over like, Hey, like actually, um, there were, there were some things that, that I did and maybe things that happened in my environment that, that made it more likely for me to engage in this behavior. Um, and with that, uh, context and insight can come again, like the ability to, to work on some of those factors, making sure that, um, you're engaging in self-care and, and those kinds of things. So that's that's really the the front end of the chain. Um, the, so just oh, to yeah. summarize, yes. um, in terms of the order that you would typically do it with a client or veteran, mm-hmm. you, you'd start by identifying the target, right? So mm-hmm. I've been thinking about the paper kind of maybe on the right-hand side or something is, is the target behavior uh, very specifically identified. Um, then somewhere towards the left-hand side, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the prompting event. Mm-hmm. So a little bit more of a, a concrete thing that might have happened, you know, argument, lost mm-hmm. job, yeah. um, or, you know, a million other things that, that could prompt the crisis. Mm-hmm. Then you're kind of connecting those two dots, right? Mm-hmm. The, the prompting event and target behavior mm-hmm. um, in a very detailed way, mm-hmm. uh, capturing thoughts, emotions, physical sensations, other behaviors. Yeah. Um, and then once you have those connected, going back kind of even further on the mm-hmm. left-hand side of the page to identify vulnerability factors that um, made the person um, that sort of at higher risk or more likely to respond in the way they did. Yeah, the absolutely. Um, and and I think I think with that, um, you know, sometimes you you might have um, a client that you're working with that doesn't remember the prompting event. Sure. Um, and, and if they don't, again, it's just like working back from the target behavior and usually it'll it'll be clear as mm-hmm. you kind of go through that together um, kind of what what happened, what set that into motion. Do you, this is slightly yeah. a, a field, but I think probably important in doing a good chain analysis. How do you usually set it up or introduce it to a client or veteran so that you help them kind of drop into that moment or reach that level of detail yeah. that's useful as opposed to just like, yeah, this is what I did. <laughs> yeah, no, so so usually there will be a, a, kind of a, a verbal description that I provide, but mm-hmm. but also some physical things that I that I do in the room to, to make this kind of more conducive. So, so one thing that I'll do is I'll always do a chain on a blank piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason for that is, is really, uh, this is this is you kind of telling your story to me about about what happened and and us figuring out together kind of what's what's continuing to, to make these things happen for you so that 
we can we can address them. So I found that that really kind of promotes a, a collaborative style, sitting next to the uh, the veteran that I'm working with and, and really kind of drawing out the chain together. So a little more of a genuine like. Let's figure this yeah, out. Yeah, let's figure this out. Totally. Rather than like, this is the part of the session where we do this work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, the other thing that I'll that I'll say to them in kind of verbally setting up the chain is like, um, hey, so so I'd like to uh, go through this or engage um, in this kind of in this process with you. Um, so that we can both kind of have a better understanding of why why this stuff keeps happening for you, um, and and really be better informed for the two of us about where we can intervene. Um, this might seem a little weird or a little bit different than something you've done before. We'll be doing something called a chain analysis, where where I I'm going to be like, um, uh, you know drawing a bunch of circles and arrows really there's no kind of standard way that you have to do this but but it might it might look like a a mess initially but what this will do is it'll kind of like help us together figure out um how how this stuff is continuing for you why it is that, that you continue to struggle with um your suicidal thoughts or why you continue to um overdose on on medications or you know whatever they're working on you set up this collaborative stance where you're working on it together yes um and creating this product to kind of both improve your understanding absolutely and and what if like say after we figure out the target behavior we've got the prompting Mm -hmm. and and i say like i don't know what happened i just like did it um are mm-hmm. there things that you would say to help the person like narrow in more on how they were feeling in the moment or mm-hmm. what they were thinking? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think there are a couple things you can do. I mean, I, I think one of them is that I, I would ask really specific questions about, well, what kinds of thoughts, you know, were you having? Or if, if someone else was um, uh, sort of watching you, what, w- what would they see that you were yeah. doing? Like, what would, they, what would they notice about your experience? Um, if you can't remember it, uh, during this time, are there, are there other times that this has happened for you and and what experience did you notice in those times? I I think usually though, asking pretty targeted questions like, um, what emotions were you feeling? And if then someone doesn't have like the verbal repertoire to be able to identify what emotions they were feeling, then kind of figuring out, well, what, what is emotion kind of symbolic for, for them? Well, maybe, maybe that's, uh, maybe you can describe that as like some sensations in your body, like, oh, well, uh, I, I think I was feeling tightness in my chest. Oh, well, what is that related to for you? Like what, what kind of thoughts were happening with that? Um, so yeah, I, I think just asking really specific questions about like what their experience was like and their experience of their environment was like, it tends to be um, a way to address that. So we've kind of talked about the front end mm-hmm. of the chain, right? Yes. The vulnerability factors, prompting event all the individual pieces in between mm-hmm. the prompting event and what led to the target behavior. And then what would typically come after that? So the back end of the chain. The back end the of the chain. The back end of the yes. chain. Nice. <laughs> um, so so I, I think, um, so after after the target behavior, uh, it's, it's, it's really figuring out um, what the consequences of the target behavior was. Um, and, and so I would say that kind of the links right before the target behavior can give you some insight about that. Um, and then obviously like what happened right after the target behavior. Um, and, and the, the kind of ways that we've conceptualized that really, um, 
behavior kind of is maintained if, if we're being very behavioral and then thinking about um, the principles of, of human behavior through positive and negative reinforcement. Um, so, so oftentimes the, the consequences of the chain really mirror that. Um, so for, for instance, to kind of give some more context into what I'm describing, um, a veteran might feel incredibly hopeless and just like, you know, there's no point, like I've done all this stuff. There's, there's no point to living anymore. Um, so then they might kind of engage like the example I gave earlier and, uh, thinking about fantasizing about suicide for, you know, a period of time. Um, and they might find that in, um, feeling in, in fantasizing about suicide for a period of time, they feel some relief from their hopelessness. So they feel less hopeless. Um, they might feel less anxious. They might feel less sad in general. Um, and, and we would call that, that, that kind of, um, pattern negative reinforcement. Uh, so negative reinforcement occurs anytime I engage in a behavior and it reduces or takes away some sort of an aversive consequence for me. So that, that, that relates to emotions. It relates to thoughts. It relates to kind of anything that we're, that we're experiencing. Um, and unfortunately, and fortunately, <laughs> hum, humans, humans learn, learn very effectively based on this, right? So if I learn that, oh, I really, you know, speaking is, is hard for me. I don't like doing it. I don't like speaking in public. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm super, super anxious, right? Um, so I'm, I'm very anxious. So my target behavior um, in, this, in this situation where I'm very anxious is I'm going to like have a drink. Um, well, that's going to, that's going to make me less anxious, which means that now I've learned that to cope with speaking in public, I have to have a drink before I speak in public. And certainly I've, I've not done that, (laughs) but I I think it's a nice example that we can all relate to, right? Of, um, how powerful, yeah, how powerful it is when we find something that really immediately and temporarily relieves our, our anxiety. And just like using alcohol, thinking, planning for a suicide attempt, um, really ruminating about suicide, engaging in, in more kind of um, engaging in a suicide attempt, all of those things can provide very powerful relief from the pain that I'm feeling in yeah. the moment. Um, so that's kind of one way that um, the consequences can look. There, there are really kind of three scenarios that, that I think we, we tend to see. Mm-hmm. So, so that's just very basic negative reinforcement. Yeah. Then also, um, oftentimes suicidal behavior and suicidal, um, ideation can persist due to po- positive reinforcement. Right. Um, so, so that, uh, is interesting because I think that tends to be where there's a lot of stigma. Like this person was being manipulative. They're in, they're engaging in suicide to like get their needs met. And actually, uh, the manipulative part is not true, but, but getting, getting their needs met, I I think is is a very, is a very valid point. So, so let's go through an example maybe with positive reinforcement. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Cool. Um, so, so let's say that, um, I, you know, I get in a fight with my partner, with my significant other. Mm -hmm. And, um, I feel like he's like, just not really hearing me at all. And then I, um, I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to engage in suicidal behavior. I'm going to, I'm going to do something to hurt myself now. Mm -hmm. And then I see that he cares. I see that, um, he's supporting me. He's like, oh, what can I do to, to help you with this? How can, how can we kind of 
work through this together. Like I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. That is, um, that, that is what we would call positive reinforcement. And the reason that's positive reinforcement is I wasn't getting any support from my environment. Then I engage in the target behavior and now I'm getting support from my environment. Um, and, and that doesn't mean I'm trying to manipulate my environment. It, it means that I'm, I'm getting my needs met through my environment uh, because I have something that's desirable and, and potent and important to me to have support from my significant other. Um, the problem is that just makes that with both positive and negative reinforcement, because of the, the change in my experience that, that I get through those target behaviors, it makes it much more likely that I'm going to engage in those behaviors in the future. So once I, I learn that, hey, um, this behavior gets, gets me support in this context, um, I might use that behavior a lot more in that context to, to get support. And it's not because there's anything wrong with like me. I'm, I'm learning from my environment about how to kind of interact with it to get, to get what I need. Hey everyone, just a quick break from the show to let you know a couple things you can do to help our show get even better. First, write us, let us know what you think, and give us your ideas for guests and topics. You can reach us at RockyMountainMyrec at VA.gov. And second, click your subscribe button on whatever it is you're using to listen so you never miss an episode. And now back to the show. Definitely. And yeah, I- it certainly worked with people too, where it's not even necessarily like conscious. It's like one, no, part, totally. one part of the, yeah. the scenario, and you know they can see uh, by looking at one side of the the chain. If yeah, you, you know if you're able to pull out some of the relationships or things that were happening between people beforehand, and then what was happening after, um, there's a little bit more of like an aha, like totally. Uh, yeah, I guess that does you know help me get support that I need to cope with this issue um how about so uh, we have um, positive reinforcement that is like external behavioral right so um people like expressing caring or mm-hmm. uh, being more involved yeah um what about are there internal or kind of personal uh, examples yeah. of positive reinforcement you could give so oftentimes um uh veterans in particular that we work with will identify um, engaging in suicidal behavior, suicidal ideation, um, because it creates a sense of peace that wasn't there before or creates a sense of control that wasn't there before. Um, and I, that can be conceptualized as positive reinforcement too, right? Like I, um, I don't, I feel completely out of control. <laughs> like, like everything is crumbling around me. Now I start engaging in very uh, specific behaviors to plan my suicide attempt. And then I attempt suicide. I feel like I'm in control. I'm totally controlling that scenario. Like I am choosing everything I want to do to lead up to that. Um, which, which I think is also incredibly powerful. And, and so of course, why, why wouldn't they in, engage in whatever behavior it is that's causing them to feel in control? It just, um, again, has, has really significant consequences for the long term if there are other things that they, that they care about and want to move towards in their life. Yeah, that's a nice example, I think, of um, more of an internal you know, addition of this positive yeah. uh, experience. Um, I think the third thing that, yeah. I, that I referenced um, that we often see is, is that this, this verbal, so verbal and kind of this covert and overt behavior is really complicated in humans. Um, so oftentimes suicidal ideation or behavior is multiply controlled, which means that there are elements of positive and negative reinforcement happening at the same time. So for the, the veteran that like we just talked about, someone who's engaging in suicidal behavior for you know, a sense of control, 
it, that might also um, mean that when they engage in suicidal behavior, they feel less anxious or less okay. guilty or less ashamed, which would mean that both positive and negative reinforcement are, are kind of operating at the same time. Um, and that's just really important for figuring out like the, the kinds of um, interventional strategies that, that you'd want to use. So, so yeah, really the, to kind of summarize the back end of the chain um, is, is all about identifying what, what, what's causing this behavior to persist. What happened immediately after the target behavior? What happened not just behaviorally, but with your emotions, with your thoughts, with your urges, with your sensations, with all those things we don't want to feel as humans. Mm-hmm. All those things that so are just painful. like the consequences yeah. of the target behavior. Exactly. Kind of short term. And do you do you consider longer term things like um, uh, hypothetical example? You're stressed out at work. Um, now, after an attempt, you're in the hospital and not at work. Um, like, could that be a longer-term consequence you would include, or would you typically um, stick more to like short-term when you're looking at consequences? I, I think so. I think when you're looking at consequences in, in the context of the chain, it's really important to talk about the short-term kind of immediate mm-hmm. consequences. But I think when talking about the point of intervention and like where you're going to intervene and why you're going to intervene in specific ways and how it's connected to your values to not engage in suicidal behavior mm-hmm. or to you know to engage in in these behaviors instead, um, I, I think you'd absolutely want to link that to the to the person's long-term goals and values and reasons for living and That's and all of those things. Um, oh yeah, there's there's one other thing I wanted to say about um, consequences. So so with positive and negative reinforcement, it's not always that you're adding something and removing something. Mm-hmm. There just might be more of something or less of something. Yeah. So it can be really helpful to rate like you know I was feeling shame at a level of ten intensity prior to engaging in a suicide attempt. After engaging in the suicide attempt. I still felt shame because I feel shame all the time, but it was less. Maybe it was like a seven on a scale of zero to ten. Um, that can be helpful for people sometimes when it, it's it's not so cut and dry, um, which is I think what we tend to see in our in our most, population. Most yeah, right? right. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it is so so complex. These events typically, and I think that really nicely highlights the value of being really specific, making sure you're covering different domains in terms of thoughts, behaviors, physical sensations, events, um, and getting a really detailed description of them so that uh, it's easier to sort of compare and contrast what was happening before the target event and what was happening after the target mm-hmm. event. Um, it also takes away that that stigma piece okay. around saying, like, uh, you know, I'm doing this to feel better, I'm doing this to influence, you know, other people. It's more just like... I can see that I was a 10 before and then I was a 3 after, um, you know, in, in this emotion that I'm trying to get rid of. I think that that's a good point. The The chain can both be simultaneously val- validating up mm-hmm. to the veteran's experience or the client's experience. Um, it can also be aversive, right? Because, because yeah. you're actually like asking the person to go back to this experience, which is causing them to, to experience kind of like facets of that in the moment with you in the room, which is kind of cool because then you're, you're already creating a context where they start to learn how to interact with that pain more flexibly. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like a, can be thought of as a mini exposure in, in, in that way, just um, putting them in contact with, with some of the stimuli that they would, they would experience at home in these kinds of events. I think the the chain is also a nice way to help people approach that. Yeah. Uh, instead of avoiding it, because yeah. I think often it's easier to say 
oh, I did this because I got into a fight with my girlfriend, or I did this for, you know, more of this, like, surface, uh, or like a big picture reason. Yeah. Than to really sort of rehash and go through the, the thoughts and emotions and everything that was taking place. Totally. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I've mentioned, like, there are points that you can intervene in the chain, but the chain itself is also an interventional strategy, right. which is kind of what we're describing right now. Um, it can be used between um, the client and provider to just practice slowing down, practice kind of you're talking about things that happened in the past, but as you talk about those things that happened in the past, how do you become present with them in the room with your with your client? So if you have a client who um, is talking about the intense uh, sadness that they that they feel um, prior to thinking about suicide or in, engaging in suicide. Um, part of the work in, in doing the chain might be slowing down a little bit to really describe and observe that sadness and yeah. kind of notice how does it show up? What does it look like? How is it showing up right now? Mm-hmm. Creates a nice kind of context for new learning. Well, we've, we've talked about what the chain is, mm-hmm. kind of what different components are. And I know we've sort of foreshadowed that you can use it to inform intervention um, maybe we could talk a little bit more about how you could use a chain analysis to inform what you would then do in therapy with a, a client or even, you know, what you would recommend that they do in terms of other interventions. Totally. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the, the kind of primary thing to attend to here is what the, what the target behavior is and, and the consequences of the target behavior, right? So um, if I'm using this behavior and not like overtly knowing that I'm using this behavior for this purpose, but if I'm, if I'm thinking about suicide uh, to get some relief from my emotions, well, that gives us some evidence that this person has difficulty regulating their emotions, difficulty tolerating distress. So then what I would do is we'd kind of brainstorm together and figure out, okay, like where, where on this chain would it, would it have been helpful to practice these skills on the front end prior to the target behavior? Then kind of once you engage in the target behavior, what, what makes sense? You know, I mean, they might be hospitalized, but, but certainly if they're hospitalized, like where, what kind of interventional strategies kind of could they use to get themselves to the hospital or to um, once they're in the hospital, I, that's kind of beyond the chain. But um, but yeah, so I, I think the, the primary thing that it does is it gives us evidence about um, the function the target behavior is serving. So then we know what kinds of skills to practice um, with the veteran to kind of map onto that. So if I'm if I'm um, feeling if I'm getting relief or, so, or something like that from um, thinking about suicide, uh, emotion regulation and distress tolerance skills, I might try could include um, using something like that, and I'm going to probably reference a bunch of DBT skills, mm-hmm. um, because I think those are really helpful for crisis survival. There's a lot of evidence that supports that. Sure. Um, something like, uh, you know, uh, changing my facial or body temperature. So I might, I might recommend, like, if you're having a really kind of visceral um, physical response to your emotions, and um, it's really unpleasant, and you don't want to feel that way, so you engage in this behavior that... Um, isn't values consistent for you, yeah. uh, then, you know, we might try instead on the front end, what would it be like to kind of hold ice on your face? Um, or even mm-hmm. even stick your face in a bucket of ice water. That's a that's a cool skill that can activate the dive reflex. And, and when you're when you're kind of focusing on intense physical sensations like that, you also you can't be simultaneously stuck inside your suicidal thoughts. It's impossible. Um, so so those kinds of strategies that are really physical can be can be really helpful because they provide um, they provide kind of 
an opportunity to focus your attention on something else in a way that's also tends to be more values consistent for for most people. I think I think the really important thing with like skills like that is that you try it with someone in a session first. Uh-huh. Um, so, so one, so they like kind of know what to expect and uh, and two, you, you know you know how it's functioning for them to to engage in the exercise. So kind of practicing the different skills you use to interrupt the chain mm-hmm. in the future. Yeah, and um, making sure that those are effective totally uh kind of well rehearsed and seen it yeah yeah and like knowing like I, I it's always so funny to me when I do um like a mindfulness practice or um an exercise like this with someone and it's not funny it's that's the wrong word interesting and it and it kind of triggers something that I totally would not have expected because I don't I don't know that person's individual like the the details of their whole learning history kind of leading up to working with me in that session. So I think it's just the the cool thing about the chain is it's ideographic. So you can make the interventional approaches really ideographic, really individualized too. Um, And I think that's really critical. So yeah, just knowing how it's, how it's working for that person and, and with different uh, distress tolerance and emotion regulation skills, I'll, I'll recommend um, (laughs) people, you know, often have different uh, kind of ideas about how, how those will and won't be. So it, it, again, like, well, let's just try it together in session. And, and trying it together means the two of you actually engaging in the skill together and then both reporting on what your experience is like of holding ice or engaging in a mindfulness practice or um, with with the piece about um, feeling like, uh, I gave an example earlier about like feeling like um, I'm not getting support from my significant other. So so then engaging in um, a suicide attempt to or suicidal behavior to um, to because I get support as as a result, I think it, I think in those contexts, interpersonal effectiveness skills can be really nice, mm-hmm. um, and and so those are obviously skills that the uh, the client needs to learn and practice. Um, so kind of learning like how do I how do I kind of get my needs met in in this in this kind of a situation um, without without engaging in this behavior, right? Like how do I how do I interact in my relationships and you know ask my partner for support in the presence of these really strong emotions? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, w- without needing to engage in suicidal behavior because there's there's usually another another option there. Of course, I think one thing I would highlight when I'm talking about that is that you know, this is about you and, and your skills and your behavior. We can't, we can't force anyone to, anyone to, you know, um, be effective <laughs> on the, on the other end. Yeah, yeah, totally. Two-way street, but uh, kind of empowering them to see their own role and uh, being able to, um, you know, meet their needs in a way that's uh, more consistent with, with their values. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, so we talked a little bit about emotions, um, if if I have someone that's like really stuck in like there's no meaning in my life there's no there's no point in in living like I what's the point I've you know just that really um uh kind of like like existential suffering um I might recommend and and do some assessment uh to figure out like you know what 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 is actually meaningful to you what are what are some different um areas of meaning in your life there are a couple tools we often use in our our consult service so we'll um we will uh evaluate like someone's values there's some formal measures that we use related to that like the valued living questionnaire that assesses kind of um importance of values behavior that's consistent with those values i might also and i also often do like a a values card sort or something like that in in session with um with a, a client to kind of figure out like not only like what are things that are 
that that matter to you what do you want to be about how do you kind of want to prioritize those things but also like what's physiologically and um what's cognitively coming up for you while we even talk about these values like yeah, <laughs> yeah what are your experiences in the presence of these values because that can often be a barrier to people actually engaging yeah. <laughs> engaging in that yeah the values card is one of my favorites just with how concrete it is and i think it's also really interesting sometimes useful to see uh what values might be relevant or were um you know included in the context of the crisis and the chain you know where yeah. sometimes like the things that um really cause people a lot of distress or things that they care a lot about um so i've seen the chain also bring a kind of point in the right direction in terms of more values where totally i, I know we've um i think our lens tends to be a little bit more contextual behavioral mm-hmm. um but how could this be used in, you know, say I'm doing cognitive therapy for um, suicide pre- prevention or um, CBT for depression mm-hmm. and I want to, you know, do, incorporate this chain, would it be inconsistent? Or how, no, how not at all. It? Yeah, I mean, I think you can, can I, I think as long as you're attending to um, the, the, the true, like, behavioral consequences of um, what is causing this person's behavior to persist you can use any kinds of interventional strategies that that have evidence for for whatever the thing is that the person is noticing so oftentimes we'll integrate like the safety plan um which isn't particularly you know wedded to yeah yeah Yeah. so 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 we'll um we'll talk about like well you know once the prompting event happens how can you remember to look at your safety plan Uh so that might that like usually involves step six of the safety plan which is kind of like structuring your environment such that you have cues to be reminded of your safety plan so oh well like maybe you know i should i should have a a copy of my safety plan on my um like car mirror so when i'm getting like pissed off while i'm driving i see the safety plan and i'm reminded that i have some options and i can slow down um certainly you know you could recommend again on the front end if someone's like you know we often see veterans um who are engaging in ptsd treatment Mm -hmm. um cognitive processing therapy uh to you know um, engage in a challenging beliefs worksheet related yeah. to um, their, you know, some of some of the thoughts they have about being worthless or a monster or a failure, depending on yeah, so um, a lot of whatever rich, their content is. Rich yeah. cognition or potential, totally. whether it's like a dysfunctional belief underlying it or a stuck point in, in CBT, a lot of that comes out in the chain too and, and can be targeted that way. Yeah, I think a, I think another nice um, intervention that is kind of like more atheoretical, certainly there are some DBT skills that reflect this, um, is kind of in approaching the vulnerability factors. So mm-hmm. um, making sure this, again, really maps on nicely to step six of the safety plan, um, making sure that you are doing all the things that you should be doing to kick, take care of yourself, like, like setting reminders on your phone, maybe to like eat breakfast and take your mm-hmm. medication, those kinds of things, um, but also removing things from your environment that... Um, um, are harmful and and you often use to engage in suicidal behavior. So it might be um, removing alcohol for or things that would just make it worse for you in a crisis. I, yeah, I think yeah. that's a great example too because it provides a really nice inroad to that mean safety conversation, totally. right? Because you're looking at the chain together and saying, oh, "I did, you know, I had six drinks before, um, before you know, yeah. before this all started." Um, so it's less of you telling the client that they need to do this thing and more of a like kind of looking at the evidence and considering what would be in their best interest. Yeah. Like, you know, it seems like every time this happens and that brings up another good point. Um, 
often when I'm seeing someone in the in the context of like a you know we have this uh, a suicide consultation service here at the Myrac, I'll do several chains, and and then that's cool because you can um, kind of relate it to their behavior in the past week. So so we might do a chain related to a suicide attempt, then we might do a chain related to ruminating about suicide. Right, um, each of those will give you different information, but if you do them kind of enough over time, um, a cool thing can happen where you kind of compare chains, and and, and that gives you cool data about. Um, what's happening with that person's behavior and and with the consequences of the target behavior, uh, but it but so it you also can actually see like whether they're able to interrupt it totally, or whether yeah. you know any of the things that are happening in the chain are less severe than they might have been before or different. Yeah, yeah, and it and it helps them again. Like the the goal of really the skill is for. This is like, I mean, it's a complicated skill, but it's it's for people to be able to kind of like do this this skill cognitively um, it, while they're experiencing these things. To be able to like say, "Whoa, like this this interaction with um, my boss tends to be triggering for me." Like, what you know, what am I experiencing before I react to it? Or this interaction um, uh, while I was driving to work today, like really really upset me like how do I how do I kind of notice that and and slow down in the moment and then sort of like do this like do a mini chain in my head so so really the the goal with this skill is to to help our um, veterans to kind of become empowered and and learn to be their own therapist related to this yeah so kind of in the the outgrowth of this from DBT um uh, I don't know if it's originally you know for the first discovery was DBT but certainly used extensively in DBT and it actually is like a DBT worksheet, right? It's something that uh, uh, clients are are taught how to do independently. So I really like that point of, um, you know, this isn't just some fancy assessment measure that you have to have uh, a degree in, you know, some sort of mental health field to use, uh, but rather a, a useful tool to help people understand their own behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um... I think with that, what's nice is you have, you know, you're documenting the um, the client's own experiences verbally, you know, um, and and you're providing them with like, hey, this is this was your experience of this. This is, you know, this is how you characterize this. Um, that can be really nice for for documentation too to kind of really augment your suicide risk assessment. So certainly something that can be used after crisis to better understand what happened can be used on more of a continual basis in regular therapy. Um, where else, you know, I, I mean, where our lens tends to be focused on the uh, the VA oh, uh, yeah. system of care, but where do you, um, else could you see this being used? Are there any other like, kind of types of providers that you would oh, recommend I, use this? I mean, I, I like, I, I think my hope for this skill is that it would be kind of almost as, as standard really as suicide risk assessment, because I, I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's so powerful, but no, I, I think, uh, any, any person that you're working with, um, who has a behavior that they, that they want to change. I, I, so, th- so, That's uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I think there's evidence it's cool because there's evidence for, um, and I'm, I'm this, this certainly, um, the chain analysis in, it occurs in the context of DBT, but, but doesn't have to be always rooted in DBT, but, um, you know, DBT and ACT and all these, you know, trans diagnostic, mm-hmm. uh, 
therapies that we have focus on on a ton of different symptom topographies, symptom presentations. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean this this can be used for substance use. This can be used for isolation associated with PTSD or depression. Just to just just kind of slow down and get awareness about behavior. This can be used for um, eating disordered behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, restriction is a behavior. Violence for sure. Violence for sure. Really yeah, no, that's a really good point. Take home message, right? <laughs> really flexible tool. Be Can minutes. be used in a lot of different treatment yeah. settings. Um, is important to do it in uh, sort of like to fidelity or like doing a good job and really doing it in a collaborative way um, where you're uh, validating the experience and making sure you're not missing uh, big components of it. We talked a little bit about um, how in informing treatment it could um, inform a safety plan, and I just wanted to kind of echo that or like augment that uh, again because I think this uh, type of assessment really maps on beautifully to helping people understand like step yep. one around their warning signs, All the steps. step two around like things they can do on their own for personal coping. Um, step three, you know, a lot of times you'll you'll find out in the vulnerability factors or or potentially more of the social relationships, you know, who you who you could involve. And we already talked a little bit about how it can um, help support those means safety conversations or conversations around um, you know access to things that someone could um, uh, kill themselves or hurt themselves with. Mm-hmm. How can people learn more about? doing a change yeah so um i think there are kind of a number of um different ways you could learn more depending on uh how how much time you have and mm-hmm. the resources that you have i think you could certainly check out our website at the rocky mountain Myrac um to 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 read the article that we referenced um i think certainly the the best training in um in doing something like this is getting really well trained in uh you know interventions like dialectical behavior therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy but that's that's not required um and it certainly if it's not accessible to you that's okay i think also stay tuned because um I know that we'll be uh, doing some more with this. You might see opportunities at conferences in the future to be trained in chain analysis. Um, you might see more products from the MIRAC related to chain analysis. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's an area that, that has a lot of potential. Yeah, I think it's a really um, useful and simple tool mm-hmm. and one that can be used uh, sort of regardless of what your theoretical orientation is. Uh, so, you know, I hope that... Um, people will have the opportunity to to try this out and um, see how it might fit in the work that they're currently doing. Yeah, there are also like if you if you have access to journals and and mm-hmm. books and, and things like that. Um, there's there's a there was a recent DBT book that that came out um, with a chapter on uh, chain analysis that Sarah Landis wrote. That's like a that's Great. a helpful resource. Um, there's a cool article on chain analysis from Shireen Rizvi from a from a few years back. I think we cite it in this chain analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, paper that we're referencing um and then there's some cool work too uh from like on like mechanisms of dbt there was a cool paper that thomas lynch published on um like the functions of the chain analysis and its use as kind of an interventional strategy and then of course you can check out any any act books that talk about functional analysis mm-hmm. um and also the the standard dbt um kind of training manual excellent so yeah. maybe as uh things move along we can add some of these yeah. references or resources to the website and um, you know uh, look forward to seeing how people react to this podcast and totally. um, 
yeah, and hopefully are able to, uh, you know, use this in their clinical work or yeah. personal experience. Exactly. Yes, I think it's. I think it's uh, to apply it clinically. It's it's something that you should absolutely be applying personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think the Rocky Mountain short takes on suicide prevention for the opportunity to do this podcast and talk a little bit more about um, using chain analysis. And Lauren, thanks for your time. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was fun, Sean. Thanks for joining us today on the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous support from the Rocky Mountain Myrick for Veteran Suicide Prevention out of the VA Rocky Mountain Regional Medical Center. Be sure to visit our website at www.myrec.va.gov vision19. And while you're at it, if you found value in this episode, Head on over to your favorite podcasting app to subscribe and give us a rating and spread the word. Tell a friend about the show and be sure to tune in every other Tuesday for new episodes. Our mission is to prevent suicide and help veterans build meaningful lives. And when you listen to our show, you see the possibilities.